Think Again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome again to Think Again, presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that's been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. For today's programme, we'll continue from last week. I played host and interviewed Jacques about a book chapter he's just written about populism, social media and community development. That's true. We have been talking for quite quite a while actually on uh, the ways in which our behavior our relationships all of that are being influenced by both the social media but also by the political system we inhabit and uh, whilst uh, some of the people we have in quoting particularly focus on what it does to individuals we have been particularly worried about what it does on uh, what it does to our relationship, our capabilities to relate, the situations and opportunities we have to relate, and how it really invades those joint spaces where we talk with one another, uh, as well, you know, the way in which it makes followers out of us, how mm-hmm. it makes people who like and are supposed to be very happy when they get a couple of thousands of likes to whatever message it is that they send out. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of what what we were talking about last Mm. week. Thanks for that recap, Jacques. So we ran out of time to talk about suggestions in your book chapter for social change, and I thought it warranted another program. Of course, we'll be continuing discussion about ways of creating a better future in following programs. After all, that's largely the point of this program, Think Again. So, Jacques, you argue that we need to take back control of our consciousness and mental spaces. I love your quote from Zuboff, who wrote about surveillance capitalism, that we need to rekindle the sense of outrage and loss over what's been taken from us. The human expectation of sovereignty over one's own life and authorship over one's own experience Uh, You argue this is something that digital technology has taken from us. So uh, can you tell us a bit about what you mean by this and how we could go about taking back control over our mental life? Well, the interesting thing is uh, we start, or I linked basically the whole social media, what I call a scourge, uh, with populism because of the fact that uh, the way in which we think about populism today is that it is a new kind of phenomenon. It actually isn't. Populism has been around for generations. We particularly focus on the populism and totalitarianism of the kinds of people like Hitler, Stalin and all of that. And the ways in which they influenced people was sort of a public form of influencing, whereas the way in which we are being influenced now goes, I I called it, and I call it again, subcutaneously. It sort of goes 
under the skin immediately mm -hmm. without interference of anything like a social relationship. Uh, you, you sort of move out of the present situation you're in and deal with a screen. Uh, mm -hmm. And that screen enters straight into the area where our desires are being made, where we are made to believe that we need to absolutely buy that product or mm -hmm. we need to absolutely follow that particular woman or man singer because that man singer is cool. And at the same time also a variety of political messages enter through the screen uh, subcutaneously into our ways of being and thinking. And I think that is what we need to regain in what Zuboff was particularly also talking about. Mm. Regain control over what it is that enters our brain and our desires. So how do we do that, Jacques? Well, talking with one another about it. <laughs> and in a way, you know, we That's talk about radical. it. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about it being social media. And so we need to really recapture the ways in which we relate with one another in an immediate way kind of way, directly, where mm. we can face one another mm -hmm. and also can watch how we non-verbally relate to whatever it is that we talk about. So in a way, re restate to its firm value mm. the, whole, the whole nature of communication mm -hmm. rather than it being filtered by screens into words and desire. Or through your ears, earpieces. Exactly. And yeah, so the limitation there and that therefore the, that it becomes an, an intermediate rather than an immediate kind of a so, way in so which Jacques, we... That yeah. sounds a little bit highfalutin, really. So you're talking about people um, communicating with each other when they're actually in each other's presence yeah. <laughs> and part of the they're situated in a space and in a sensual space where they can see each other's body language mm. and, and um, I guess all the other parts of our sensual mm. experience. Yeah. Particularly, that is right. And the thing is, you know, the kinds of messages which come through the social media are the messages also of the governing culture in which we live. And that is a culture of, uh, as we know, neoliberalism, of competitive capitalism. We are being told that we are mostly individuals and that we are mostly competitive with one another as individuals. So, yes, I'm interested in you uh, raised the topic last week about we shouldn't be just following technology blindly because it's there, that we need to, uh, you, you're not advocating dropping technology altogether, but we need to have a set of values that are leading our pathway into using technology. And, and therefore help us control it rather than leading to a situation where the technology controls us. For example, going back to what I said before, that we get the messages that we are primarily individuals and competitive, they are actually lies. They are not the yeah. kinds of values and the reality upon which our human existence is based. Humans are altruistic and cooperative. We now know via neuroscience and a whole variety of other sciences which converge on the fact that we are actually not only meant to be, but we are relational beings, as we have been saying for <laughs> ever since That's we started right. this kind of a program. So Just very quickly, if, if, if we as a species would not have been cooperative during the, let's say, 200,000 years in which we have evolved, we would 
actually not have made it, given mm-hmm. the strength or the forces and, and powers which were around us. So the only way in which we as a species could survive was because of the cooperation. Mm-hmm. And therefore, and I have to now say that, when our prime minister the main advertisers of the of the of the of the club who's governing us comes up four days ago with in one of his speeches when we talk about new start and we have also talked about new start and its importance that how important it is that it needs to be increased he referred to it in a speech as unfunded empathy oh. unfunded empathy now if you just think a bit about that Empathy is really the kinds of capability we have as humans mm. to understand one another, to to work with one another, to be with one another. Empathy is our capability to get into the feeling of the other person. And that is at the basis of our relational capabilities. And, and what it means to be human. And what it means to be human in the midst of other relational species which we live with and need for our own survival. So when our Prime Minister refers to this as unfunded empathy, you really, really have to wonder. Thank you, Jacques. On that note, we'll go to some music. We have survived by No Fixed Address. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. 
The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. You're listening to Jacques and Jennifer on Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about social media and social change. Today I'm playing host and I'm interviewing Jacques about a book chapter he's written for a book on populism and community development. So Jacques, for community development or community redevelopment, you're suggesting we look at the characteristics needed for socially productive forms of relating. This goes back to our first program of Think Again, in which we talked about what it means to be human and, of course, as we've been discussing, that we really exist in a dynamic network of relationality with each other and with nature and the world around us. So, of course, the flip side of that is that we don't really exist as atomised individuals, as the free marketeers and neoliberals would have it. So, Jacques, what are the characteristics and also the activities needed to regenerate healthy and socially productive forms of relating? Well, probably trying to go with the available time we have, going to a little bit of basics there. We live in an economic system and in an economic culture which thinks about and treats uh, the, 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 the factors of production, that's why I talk about socially productive, the factors of production as resources, as things which can be extracted. And that applies both to people, they extract labor from us, from us as people, they meaning yes. the ones who are in charge of the economy or who dominate it, as well as the environment that surrounds us. You know, we are fully into an extractive kind of way of thinking about the ways in which we sustain ourselves yes. individually, as well as as a society, as well as humanity. And I'm figuring that unless we move that extractive way of thinking into a direction of regenerative work, that we in order to actually address the damage which we have been done to humans as resources, treating them as resources, as well as to our planet, uh, because we now know that we are really running out of planet. Mm. We need probably already now close to two to two and a half mm. to fill uh, the needs of the ways in which we respond to needs uh, for 7.5 billion people on it. So read, we need to shift in all of the things we do to a regenerative kind of focus, uh, a regenerative form of living. That means that we need to think how is what we do and how we relate, the way we deal with nature, with ourselves, how is that regenerating the capacity of people as well as of our planet to keep to keep us surviving mm -hmm. and to keep it surviving. So it is a restorative program. That's not of my invention. Eric Erickson already 60 years ago talked about that. He's a social psychologist about the really important uh, regenerative nature, particularly he talked about the aging process, that when we go 60 plus, 
that we lose really any real meaning of living, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. We are not productive anymore, so we actually are rather to, yeah, we should be discarded, basically. And he said then already that that is a real damaging kind of way of dealing with people like us who are still having something like 30 years to live after 60 and therefore discarding them is denying what is really giving sense to their life and that is being generative. Mm. So I suppose um, you also talk about we need to put more emphasis on community ship rather than leadership. So of course we hear a lot about leadership especially in all these managerialist courses around the place that we're all going to be saved when people have done their leadership course and learned to be a good leader. So um, I suppose you talk about community ship, which I love that phrase. I don't know if you made that up. No, no, I pinched it from uh, (laughs) someone, a very well-known organisational theorist. But I totally believe in it because the way in which we deal with leadership on a political level in organisations, in business and all of that is for me totally the wrong type of leadership. It's sort of the leader who runs ahead of the of the followers. I already talked about mm. being a follower via the social media. You know, when you think about it, that running ahead leader, he exposes his the worst part of his anatomy to the followers. Mm. And really, the, the the understanding of followership is a really important one as well. And that is what I what I extend to the learning and the relearning of community ship. Uh, they have been they have been and they still are developing ways of thinking about leadership differently mm. they talk about it as distributive leadership that mm-hmm. means that everyone who is part of a community has, has a bit of leadership in him or her yes jack i'm a bit worried about this because if we followed that pathway, how would we be able to justify those huge salaries for all those CEOs who are performing, showing such good leadership? Well, we wouldn't anymore, <laughs> which is really why also the concept of the commons, which is now very much being promoted everywhere as part of a more community ship kind of an approach to the way we survive, as well as a variety of other ones where we probably will be talking about later anyway. So it's really important to also start to think a little bit about what it is, what are the characteristics of dealing with one another as if we are, and not just as if we are, but that we are and when we are in community. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jacques. El Dorado, the story of Scudiez, is the story of a fight of a small community in northern Greece against a multinational-owned gold mine project that threatens their homes and lives. A grassroots movement is fighting against the destruction of the environment caused by the extraction methods and for democratic control over the most crucial basic resources, water, air and land. It shows Greece in the era of social and economic crisis where the rights of communities and the environment collide with big business and profit. This screening will be followed by a performance by Bandidas playing classic Rembetica songs of love and loss, pain and pleasure at Café Gummo, 711 High Street Thornbury on Saturday the 10th of August at 7.30pm. Entry will be by gold coin donation and all funds will go to 3CR. You're listening to Jacques and Jennifer on Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial. 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au.
As I've said before, I'm playing host today and interviewing Jacques about a chapter he's written for a new book about populism and community development. So Jacques, in your suggestions for creating social change, you draw inspiration from community-based political action and global movements for change. So can you give some examples and also tell us how we might be informed or mobilised by such examples? Yes, I'll try. There's a Thank lot. Thank you, Jacques. There's, Three minutes. <laughs> there's a lot of them happening, really, uh, worldwide. And uh, just, for example, 10 years ago, there was the Occupy movements, which happened everywhere. Uh, there was the uh, Indignados in Spain and in Portugal. So they probably, in that kind of a aware way of breaking the power which economic rationalism that system and those who gain from it have established over us which also led then to people thinking around what would be the right economy to uh, to, to live by mm -hmm. and to be surviving by so in australia we've got the nena the new economics network which is a really in interesting one and they have started to establish a variety of regional and local networks where the idea behind it is mostly to relocalize ways in which we survive rather mm. than depend on uh, on you know rice which has been produced in Australia then being sent out 10,000 kilometers away, for example, I'm just taking that as an example, to be packaged because the labor is cheaper there and then sent back. So things like that, to relocalize the manufacture whilst drawing mm. from the global ways in which in which innovations are being created mm -hmm. because we can do that now because we do have indeed IT to mm. pass these things on to one another globally so do the research and, and, and that kind of thing mm. globally but do the production and the ways in which we make it concrete locally so People have been referring to that, to cosmoglobalism or, or cosmolocalism and things like that. So mm. there's a real strong movement mm. worldwide of individual, almost like cells, which are mm. developing these ways. Cells. And I suppose um, there's an idea, I think, that also comes through your writing of preparing for the future in today. Mm. Even if you don't see, you can't see the shiny light of what needs to happen now, we at least need to prepare to make um, a productive and healthy future possible. Yeah. And yes, and particularly also not think too far into the future because we are basically we are uncertain about what that type of future is going mm. to bring us. Mm -hmm. Of uh, course, that's uh, one of the pitfalls of managerialism. That's Pre right. We're predict and control, you yeah. know, um, with the fallacy that you yeah. can predict what's yeah. going to yeah. exactly happen. Yeah, the best we can do, I think, is that we work towards that space in time and in place where the first bits of the future, that means what's probably going to happen tomorrow, is meeting the end of today. The end of today. So yes. it is that intersection, that space where those two meet, that's the best we can do. Yeah, I think a, a nice example of that is Syria's Secret Library, uh, which Mike Thompson, um, a BBC journalist, has written about. This was an underground library created from retrieved books in the bombed and besieged town of, <coughs> excuse me, Daraya, amidst military onslaught from the Syrian government. So in putting together the library, the residents built a place of community refuge, uh, learning and hope, 
um, often prioritising gathering books above gathering food and putting their lives at risk. And when asked to explain this, they say things like, while the food's needed for the body, the books are needed for the soul. But I suppose that idea of having the seeds of tomorrow in today, the residents saw the library as necessary for planning for the future. They were, they were carrying on um, their ongoing mm. education mm-hmm. through reading the books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One said, books motivi- motivate us to keep going. We read how in the past everyone turned their backs on a particular nation, yet they still made it in the end. So we can be like that too. They help us plan for life once Assad is gone. Mm. So totally, and it very much corresponds also with the best of the the reaction or the resistance against climate change. Like when I see the twenty five thousand students who have been meeting uh, in front of uh, in, in Spring Street last year. Mm. Uh, was it last? No, it was not last year. It was before the election, and they are meeting again on in September. So those. Young people, they are actually on the one hand talking about their future uh, when they become adults, but they're also talking mm. about tomorrow. Of course. The Extinction Rebellion is another movement Beautiful. which is happening in, in all over the world, really, of people who have become slightly more radical about the way in which mm. they protest. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.